This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. My name is Tyler Morgenstern. I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Film and Media Studies here at UC Santa Barbara. Um, and it's my great pleasure today to moderate our event this afternoon and to welcome our esteemed guests, Trent Atkinson and Brandon Stansel. Trent is filmmaker and writer and director of uh, the new documentary, Three Chords and a Lie. And Brandon is, of course, the subject of that documentary and a country singer songwriter. So welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. For having us. Yeah, I'm just so pleased that we were able to pull this event together. And, and to me, it kind of hits like all three of my main bases, which is like filmmaking, country music, and being gay. So it's like very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I'm very excited to dig into this. So let's just get right to it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, a, it's a mighty trifecta, but anyways. Um, so let's just start with a little bit of um, where this project came from and how it really started to come together. So Trent, I wonder if you might give us a little bit of a sense of how the project took shape, um, how you came to know Brandon and how the two of you together not only decided to tell this story, but decided to tell it in the way that you did. And particularly you, given your background in film and television, although not documentary, how you made the choice to sort of make the leap into documentary to really um, come to grips with this story of Brandon's. Yeah. Um, thanks for having us, firstly. It's really exciting to be here. Um, the I, I met Brandon, firstly, through, uh, through Jim, of all places. He just moved to L.A., and he'd come in with his southern voice and his big laugh wearing this bandana. And I thought, this kid. <laughs> and I found out he was a singer. And because I'd been making sort of films and, and things for a while, when I heard his music, I, I, I said he needed some videos because I, you know, I was so impressed by what he was doing and I wanted to help. Um, and so that's really how our creative relationship started. We became dear friends, but I ended up directing... I don't even know six or some some I don't know a bunch of videos for Brandon, uh, and um, and then from that when this project came in initially it sort of came in as a as something his management floated that there was interest in making a documentary about about his uh, his music and and then I kind of being a bit sneaky thought I'd use that to uh, to really because I knew a bit of Brandon's story and I knew how uh, important it is and how resonant it could be. And so I sort of wanted to broaden out the scope of the documentary to not just look at his music and what he's doing now, but to sort of dig into how Brandon has, you know, his path is a bit of a, a microcosm for, you know, something that a lot of queer people can can really sort of resonate with, but also something that I think it just feels very, very over time and very important right now as like barriers getting broken down everywhere. So. Um, yeah, so I sort of came up with this idea for, you know, framing it around this one week of his life, going back home, uh, and kind of convinced him that was something we should do. And bless him, he trusted me. Brandon, did it take substantial convincing to to undertake this project? Well, you know, I, I was, I never really wanted to do anything like this. And so it was, it was wildly off my radar. Um, I was writing uh, my, um, re I was writing a new record at the time and um, it was kind of slated to come out in the summer and it did came out this past, past summer, but it was, um, it was basically all about um, 
I just had this real passion to bring queer stories to country music. Um, I just felt like, uh, you know, obviously the genre has a, has a um, representation problem, not just with queer people, but um, I, I just really passionate about trying to bring that to this world. So in the middle of all of that, um, I was presented with this opportunity to do this documentary through um, Out TV, uh, who's one of the, produ the big producing partner on it. And um, I, I kind of turned it down first. Um, and then I had a, a friend tell me, you know, it kind of repositioned the, the project as, um, you know, as a vehicle to kind of reach people that were, uh, you know, maybe my music couldn't. Um, and so I, uh, I kind of like shifted my, my thinking on it. And, um, obviously I'd worked with Trent for years. Um, and, and he's one of my dearest friends. And so I, um, I trusted him, which is a big mistake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so, um, I just, I kind of viewed it as an extension, um, of this, you know, this EP that I was working on, um, and as another kind of way to, to tell my story. Well, I think you're stuck with Trent now, so <laughs> no, it's a lovely collaboration. And I think that we'll talk about this in, in a bit, but the, the intensely personal and intimate nature of the story, I mean, I think is dealt with really deftly and really sensitively um, in the film itself. So I think that that kind of production, I think, comes from a strong working relationship between the two of you. So I think it's quite clear in the film. Um, however much you might be at each other's throats in any given time. Um, <laughs> um, and I actually, you mentioned that OutTV was one of the producing partners on this. Um, I wonder if you can just run us through a little bit of the life of the, the actual production, because it did, it, 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 my first familiarity with it came through when it was available throughout TV. It has since had formal um, festival premieres at Nashville, as well as at OutFest in Los Angeles. Um, and now it lives on Amazon Prime where it can be streamed. So um, one or both of you, could you maybe just like walk us through the journey this film has taken from that point where you decided to undertake the collaboration to where it now lives um, on Prime and what it took to get it there? B, what are you jumping? Yeah, so um, again, it was Out TV that kind of brought it to us. Um, and that was when Trent got on board and started kind of mapping out what it was gonna look like. Um, and honestly, the, all of the shooting and, um, the creative part of it took a week, you know, we were, we flew to, we flew to Nashville, um, and then drove to my hometown, uh, Chattanooga, uh, in the same week. And then, um, the, the, the show that, that I did, um, at the Choo Choo, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Chattanooga that night, we, wrapped the show. I, Trent and I got in the car, um, drove back to Nashville and I was on a 5 AM flight home to LA the next morning. So it, it all happened really quick, you know, quickly. Um, and then the, uh, we had a few more people kind of jump on board. My, um, friend, Leslie Jordan, who is also a Chattanoogan, um, who, uh, I met when I moved out here to LA, he was one of the first people that I met randomly at a Starbucks. Um, <laughs> We just became friends and he became a producing partner on this thing too. We were running out of money um, and Leslie stepped in and, and ended up paying for the rest of this uh, project, which was incredible. Um, and uh, then from there, we, uh, once it was kind of all sewn up and finished, we 
uh, sent it back to out and then um, entered it in a few festivals and had the uh, you know privilege of, of having it shown at Outfest and Nashville Film Festival this year. Um, and then it's just been slowly uh, distributed across different markets, including uh, the the U.S. Yeah, so that's kind of the the life of it. Great. And I actually wonder, I mean, obviously, you know, this film has come out at an extremely odd time <laughs> to be promoting and distributing and showing a film um, and to do festival premieres when you cannot physically go to festivals and do the fun festival things like go to cocktail parties and all that. Um, so I actually wonder if just for the both, if either of you have some reflections on what it's been like to try and launch this thing in the midst of this pandemic. Um, and I'm also particularly interested to know how the film has been or was received at that Nashville festival, um, given the way that it um, stages this kind of critique of the the diversity issues in country music, to put it very mildly, um, how it was received at those festival showings um, once it was live. It's been tricky, actually. This has been one of the difficult parts of it. Um, you know, usually in any screening, any sort of festival you do, you do get the interaction of the audience and you get to sit and discuss on stage, usually afterwards, especially premieres, and you can take a very quick barometer of how it's affecting people. Mm -hmm. um, the closest we've been able to have with that uh, wasn't at Nashville at all, actually, because everything was sort of online and platformed, um, which was fantastic. But we, it was sort of a strange experience and unique to this. We had our LA premiere, at least at Outfest, in uh, a drive through sort of a oh. setup drive through um, which was, you know, again, great to be able to do. But for any filmmaker, the, you know, the experience of watching in mass is the immediacy, you know, of interaction. You can hear how it's going down. Of course, you can't do that in your car. Um, you have all these technical things, which, you know, it's coming through. It's, it's, it's a very strange thing. People's, you know, lights kept turning off, you know, car kept turning off. So they have to turn it back on at these. So there's a lot of things you can't control, which in a very unusual way takes you out of uh, being able to get a test of how, it's um, how it's landing. Um, and so what's been so great is, you know, things like this and, you know, getting the online sort of responses that we've been getting um, in the absence of that and the emotional sort of connection it's been making with people. That's the, that's really our festival experience. You know, it's, it's been a purely online, purely digital uh, kind of, uh, but in a sense more personal for it because it's been direct messages and it's been people taking their own effort to, just say this really moved me and this this is a this is it did what it was meant to do if that makes sense that's great um i mean it's it's very reassuring to know that yeah there are these spaces that we can have that kind of connection even outside of the experience of being in a theater which of course we would normally be doing today but unfortunately not um and speaking of the emotional weight of this film let's dig in <laughs> let's do that's all the that's all the mechanical stuff let's talk about the film um, and this really remarkable story that you've told. So um, I've now seen the film several times and I'm still struck when I view it now as I was the first time with just how intensely intimate and close and proximate you've told this story. Um, of course, you sort of gesture at the front end to these larger um, industrial issues, diversity and representation and equity in the country music industry. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, for the most part, the film stays really, really close to the bone, right? And tells a very personal, very intimate story. Um, Trent, I wonder if you can tell us, particularly given that this was your first foray into documentary, 
how you went about the task. Well, one, why or how you decided to tell the story in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, how as a director new to this format, you took on this really sensitive, extremely personal material. Um, and material that was really, and it comes across in the film, is very live and volatile for Brandon Stone. It, and it was. I think my, I struggled with this when it came up as an opportunity. I, I didn't want to do it if I couldn't contribute something to that sort of genre and tell uh, tell a story with sort of honesty and let it have some weight. Um, there were limitations. Uh, it wasn't a big budget. It was a very small budget. Um, and I like, I'm, I've worked in plenty of small budgets, but at that level, it very much, you know, you can't tell a big story in a, in a sense, you know, we couldn't do a lot of time. We couldn't do a lot of shooting or crews, multiple crews we were limited. So I sort of, I really, spent the bulk of my time in the beginning trying to decide how I could frame a story that would have both the small and the large uh, resonance. And so for me, I, I got most excited and realized I could do it and should do it when I sort of hit on this idea that it could just be this one snapshot because I thought that with all the ingredients, the, the visit home, Brandon had never been home to perform since, you know, his coming out and the trauma of that. Um, it tangled up all the elements that I think make a really good story. Um, the risk of course, was that it was a very volatile, as you said, very live situation. We really, you know, I will never forget, you know, we, we do all this work, we get there, we're getting this beautiful footage. And on the morning of the show, we had truly no idea whether anyone will come from his family, whether they'll all come, if they do come, whether there'll be, you know, there's some really personal songs in there whether that will go down very badly and there'll be some sort of demonstration. You know, we just, we had no idea of any of it. Um, and so that was, I mean, that was very difficult and that was, but to me, that was the point. I, I wanted to respect Brandon's life and his relationships, but I also, I saw an opportunity for his, for his story to be enough sort of honesty and to be raw enough that it could speak and sort of get past a lot of the intellectualization we have around music and because of that then go on to reach a lot more people than I think it would have otherwise. Right and yeah and I think that's great and Brandon I actually wonder then how what the experience was like of making this film and confronting this film from your perspective you've mentioned in previous interviews and even earlier um, that you were initially reluctant to do it um, and that part of that is because the relationships that are involved, like I said, are, they're still live. These are still ongoing, real relationships. Um, and so I wonder what, was this just kind of a thing where you decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go whole hog and tell the story completely honestly and confront it straight on? Um, or how, what was your approach or your perspective on telling this story in this way that was so open and vulnerable in a lot of places? Well, I, you know, I, I had this uh, kind of mantra that I use for writing um, for myself, and that is write what you know. <laughs> and um, so a lot of my music has been about my coming out experience and 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 all that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, when this, I guess when we were starting to work on this project, um, I just I just knew that like I was, you know, I obviously trusted Trent I, and I, to be honest, I didn't know exactly like step by step what we were doing. I remember I got, we got to Nashville and 
Um, a trend knows me so well and, and he's, you know, seen, you know, my show at, you know, a thousand times and he's seen me be interviewed and talk to people and, um, he kind of knows my shtick. Um, and, uh, so he, we get there and he's answering, you know, he's asking me all these questions that he knows that I am, um, loaded for bear. <laughs> Um, you know, I just, things that I've been asked a million times that I pretty much have a a locked in answer for. Um, and I was starting to wonder what this was going to really be about. I I obviously knew I was going to be doing this show, but I, in my mind, I was thinking more about the show than I was about confronting family or if they would come or not, or what this story meant beyond the experience that I was having while we were making it. But, um, we, you know, as the days rolled along, as we got closer to that day, um, this one kept, would just prod me a little bit more and more every time uh, to, uh, to a, you know, to great effect, I think. Um, but I honestly didn't know what, what was happening. Um, and I know that sounds really weird, but um, I just trust Trent so much and I know how talented he is. And um, so I literally just handed the reins of this thing over to him. And my only job was to answer questions and sing songs. Um, and so that's what I, I did. But, you know, obviously there's um, there's an underlying, you know, there's story there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a very weird, I hope it never happens again experience that, I, that this was. <laughs> Or something, because I wanted, I, I figured if I structured the week right and and built the experience right, then it wouldn't be that I've had to construct narrative and, and edit before, and I didn't want that. I wanted to get truth. Mm-hmm. And so knowing Brandon well, as he says, I did have a sense of how his walls would be up. And so I built the whole thing sort of very inverted. I just gave him everything. We did all the easy stuff to the point where I was day two or something or three, and we're driving down Chattanooga. And I knew sort of, where we're headed, right? It's like <laughs> being really gracious. He's like, questions. And um, and I was just and I just laughed. I was like, oh thank you. Um and knowing sort of, you know, probably what, what was headed. Um <laughs> and then but what that was was, you know, it was sort of boiling the frog in a nice way without being manipulative. A very was, friendly boiling of the frog. Yeah. 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 It was really awful. Yeah, but I think that you know no one would ever want to do what he did willingly. No one would ever willingly put himself under that much exposure. I am blown away by how honest he is and and how willing he was to go there. And so I was really really aware of the fact that that's the sort of thing I didn't want to drop him in unawares of. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't you know want to miss the opportunity for people to see that queer people in similar situations have to exhibit such an outweighted amount of courage just in their day-to-day in their youth often at the point where they're most vulnerable and i sort of wanted to show people that you know like here's someone doing it still you know and hey it's terrifying you're going to do it and you're going to feel great and you're going to be fine and the, and i think that's the sort of thing that people do need especially you know queer kids in in small towns in the country in the south mm-hmm. so, um so he was a guinea pig but he was a really good one <laughs> wonderful praise <laughs> <laughs> um i actually wonder i mean it's interesting that you're sort of pointing to this the the process by which you sort of worked up to this um this feature show that of course is the sort of climax of the film um because i was sort of struck watching it um 
the there's this sort of emotional tone of it, which is of course very open, very intimate, very honest. Um, but I also found that stylistically, formally, I felt that as I was watching it, it had the bearing almost of a kind of home movie um, or of a kind of family movie. And of course there is literal home movies and found footage of Brandon's former career and various show <laughs> show ensembles and these kinds of things. Um, so there's a, there is actually home video, but the there's a, there's a certain foundness in like a certain found quality to even the, the original footage that you shot. There's a there's a willingness to stay with things and to like let them unfold, however contingent, such as like when your mother cancels on the that that first interview before the interview with the show, right? Doesn't doesn't turn up for that interview. There's a kind of contingency to it that makes it feel somewhat like a like an informal kind of off the cuff kind of text, right? And so I wonder, is that were those stylistic choices something that just kind of fell out of the production context, given how that it was low budget or whatever? Or was this like a deliberate choice to try and use the the conventions of the home movie or um, the, the the personal diary almost as a as a storytelling technique? More the latter. There was limit, you know, and we had we shot on very expensive camera. We had the gear we had was, you know, we I've shot features on. Um, and but the intention was to really try to capture something that was uh, unfiltered. I wanted beautiful realism as much as possible. And I think that that is by default messy at times. But I think that memories are messy, families are messy. Uh, the things we go through are messy to a degree. So if an audience is allowed into that sort of mess and it has a point and it has a heart, I think it's really, you know, I think it's my Angelou said, you know, you just want to slip under the skin and be received, you know, it's got to get into the blood. And I think that that style of shooting was the most effective for that, um, you know, and gave us an opportunity. And in terms of getting to know Brandon, which was my other job I felt like in this. I wanted to introduce people to him and his music. He's, that's how he is. He is informal and intimate and uh, natural. And I thought that it would be a disservice to try to polish up something that is inherently not. Like he's got, in Brandon's polish is fantastic. <laughs> his nature. Yeah. Ragged, yeah. ragged as all hell. Yeah. He makes you sound like I just described Springfield's a hee-haw. He's like, this guy. <laughs> No, you know what I mean, though. It's, you know, doesn't get, even have shoes. <laughs> just authentic. And I wanted it to try to capture that authenticity. Um, and I also think that anytime we try to sort of uh, glorify or, or polish up the past, um, we're doing it at a service. And so I really wanted to try to just capture, you know, as honestly as possible. Right. Yeah, and to extend that a little bit, I really kind of felt watching the film multiple times that, um, I mean, this seems kind of obvious and facile at first glance, but to me, it seems the film is really in a substantial and kind of complicated way about the concept of home, right? That, um, and not just in this sort of like easy way, but it's about the the possibility of home and home is also a problem as something that's difficult and that you have to fight for and that slips away and that you have to like remake in these kind of improvisational ways sometimes. Um, and of course this sort of like unfolds over the course of the film. We open with um, Brenda being introduced through the production of the video for Hometown, the single Hometown. Um, which then frames a literal homecoming, a kind of homecoming uh, narrative. 
Um, along the way, we visit the Nashville launch pad and we engage stories of queer youth experiencing homelessness in the South. Um, and then we meet a, a large cast of characters who at various points in Brandon's life, right, have helped you to create something like home when you perhaps didn't have the most conventional form of it. And then right at the end, prior, right prior to that last performance of Hurt People, we have this interview with your mother where she expresses in a really, I think, earnest and very honest way, this belief that you will return home, right? That there will be this homecoming at some point in the future. Um, and it struck me that over the course of the film, there's this sort of unfolding of the problem of home where it takes these wildly different forms and it makes it clear that it's something that has to be kind of struggled over, um, that it is not easy, that it involves all kinds of exclusions that you have to contend with and, and come to grips with and learn to fight if that's in certain cases, right? Um, so Brandon, um, maybe you could start this one, but can you maybe reflect a little bit on how that concept of home or homeliness or homecoming, right, um, helped to shape the experience of making the film. Um, and I'm just thinking of this in particular because it's that the, the complexity of home in this film is so different than the way home is dealt with in a lot of country music culture, right, which is a, something that's easily nostalgic. It's a place that you remember fondly. It's a place of the good old days and of homecoming kings and queens and all of these things, right? So it's this very different rendering of home. And so I wonder from your perspective as somebody in the kind of country music culture, um, whether that was sort of front of mind for you in the, in the course of creating the film. Yeah, well, actually it was more on the back end. Um, like I said, I, the, I give all the credit to, to Trent in, in terms of the way this is structured and how it got laid out and everything. Um, but I had a lot to think about on the, on the, you know, the other end of it. And I actually, got home um, and was driving down Santa Monica Boulevard and this um, uh, Sam Hunt's new song, uh, I think Kin Folks came out, I think that's the name of it. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's that, it's that song that you're talking about. That's so easy for, it's a great song. This is not a dig on that song, <laughs> uh, but that it's so easy for, uh, you know, people to write because it is about like, you know, how great, that homecoming is and you know it's it's so easy to tap into that you know you're you're going home and you know your mom's you know baking something for your you know your person that you brought or you know you're you're taking them around town showing them where you went to school and all this stuff and um and i i remember just driving down uh you know driving around here in la and i was like yeah i i could never sing that song um, so that's when I actually wrote uh, this. Uh, I wrote a song called "Like Us" that made it into the the film, and it's it's basically the my version of that sentiment. Um, and it just you know says home is a home for people like us, um, and because that's that is my truth and that's my story. Um, you know, I there's not there's not a, a you know a road that I can take where I can. Uh, you know, take a, someone that I'm dating home to meet my parents and it'd be a good experience. I can't show them around the town I grew up with and, and, and talk about how great it was when it wasn't. Um, and so anyway, uh, yeah, I think that it's definitely um, a powerful theme in, in the documentary, but one I really didn't know we were um, fully engulfed in until it was all over. Right. Yeah. I remember watching the film. I remember thinking, I feel like this is almost like a, a filmic adaptation of the song People Like Us, right? It, it has that same, in the way that Trent, your use of the 
the home movie convent like the conventions of the home movie to tell a story about how difficult home is yeah it has this parallel to a song like people like us which narratively lays out this story of going home and then the punchline at the end of that chorus of course punchline um kind of pulls out the rug from under you and says well that story actually isn't available to me right so um Trent did you want to add to Brandon's response uh, just a little I think Brandon says it perfectly but we one I reason I think we click is at home for me for different reasons similar I guess is is complicated and difficult and I think that home the idea of what we think of home is predicated on being wanted there and being accepted there and I think if you take those two ideas away it's suddenly a, a minefield you know because you have all the conventions of home but you have none of the things that underpin what it would be and I think that's the position so many you know, so many gay people find themselves in, or you know, anyone who's queer and you know, different in any capacity. And uh, it's one of the things I like the most about, I love that you picked up on all of those like elements and the structure of it. And as we truly got closer and closer to what home is over the course of the piece. Um, it's also why I wanted it to end on stage for Brandon, because the idea to me is that, you know, not just, it's not just about the people around him that created him. He's that to me is the kickoff point for him finding what is going to ground him and be the thing that launches, you know, that version of his life going forward. Um, but yeah, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I wonder actually, just since you've pointed to it and I've referred to it a couple of times already, but I wonder if we can just, um, zero in for a minute on that kind of final sequence in the film, right? The interview with Brandon's mother followed up by the performance of Hurt People, um, which is of course anticip anticipated by that really heart-wrenching um, rehearsal scene, <laughs> um, which is really uh, sort of makes the secondary, the second performance just land all the harder, right? So, um, but I'm really, I'm particularly interested in the interview with Brandon's mother, um, because one of the it's it's really kind of startling and breathtaking for a whole variety of reasons. But I think the reason it struck me most is because it's held for so long, right? It comes at the very end, and to that point, we have followed and tracked so closely to Brandon's we would call them version of events, right? Um, or his particular set of experiences with his family, with his community, and so forth, right? And we come to have a very clear um, and really rich understanding of what this all was for you 10 years ago, right? And what it still is now. And then suddenly at the end, we have this interview with your mother that seems to present this absolutely countervailing version of events, right? Where even the, the language seems to be turned on its head, where, um, again, prior to that first rehearsal of hurt people, you mentioned that, you know, this comment that your father made that nothing you do will ever make us proud. And she quite explicitly says in a way that seems quite earnest, like we've never been disappointed. Um, nothing he could do would ever make us not proud, right? And it seems so completely at odds with this whole version of events that we've just um, come to know. Um, and so two questions, one for each of you about this is, Trent, how do you um, take up the job of carrying out that interview, knowing what you know about the rest of the story, knowing what you've captured for the rest, for the, for the week leading up to it, number one. And then Brandon, um, what was it like then to watch this film back and sort of particularly encounter that moment where you're, you're probably seeing a version of events that seems totally alien to you? Um, so either one of you, if you wanna start off on that one. 
Um, do you want me to jump in, B? Uh, yeah, you go I ahead. <laughs> well, you know, it's that that whole that whole um, part of the documentary was so uh, hard to watch. It was the hardest part for me to watch um, because you know my mother, who I love, um, uh, you know, she, you know, kind of lives in this. It's taken her a long time to even accept that she has a, a gay son. So when I heard her say in that say in that interview that you know I have a homosexual son, um, you know that was a I've never heard I'd never heard her say that before. Um, just to acknowledge that she has a gay son um, was a new thing for me to hear. Um, and so I she's been on a, a you know a, a path for you know a journey for the past ten years um, and it often goes in circles a lot of times. And that's, I think what has been the hardest part, um, you know, because like, you know, like I said, there, there's a comment like, um, you know, know that anything you do, we're not proud of. And then, oh, you could never not make us proud. Um, and then, you know, in that same breath, it's, you know, well, I wish he were here to spend time with his nieces and nephews. You know, he's really missing out on a relationship. I know that every, they would all love. And then in the same breath, it's, you know, but he can't be here because I don't want a gay person around my nieces and nephews. And I think that's what made it so heartbreaking is just, and, and kind of is, is a, um, it is very much a picture of kind of that world to me. Um, it's very confusing and it's very cyclical and, and it, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense all the time. Um, so yeah, that, that one was a hard interview to, to watch. And, um, I, uh, you know, I had to kind of digest it and then call her back and kind of like run through the interview, um, and, you know, kind of try to make sense, you know, heads or tails of it. Um, but that was definitely the hardest, the hardest part of the film for me. Right. Um, for context also, which I think is interesting in anything, but we didn't know she was coming. Uh, spoilers for people. Um, but that interview, I really had to grab, uh, Brandon was on stage warming up. It, it was all happening. We had such a short amount of time. And, um, and so I sort of really was just, and it was one of those times where I'd heard about this woman for a long time and my own, you know, I understand what it is for people to, for parents to have a very different version of events and, what would necessarily be true. So I, I was prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for how warmly I felt towards her um, because, and I think it's part of the reason I struggled with how much or little to include of the interview in, in the film, but there is, and I think it speaks to the complications of family. When you, when I sat with Brandon's mom, who was so gracious and lovely, and I wanted to just sit and chat with her because I felt like I knew her to a degree she must have known I was a gay person as well. And, um, and so we, there was, and there's a lot that didn't make the, you know, the documentary because I think it would have skewed the balance, you know, like too much, oh, she's a monster. She's too lovely. So we really sort of pared down to what was like honest and real there. But um, it was really difficult because what I saw more than anything in the contradictions or anything like that, or some of the hurtful things that were said was her pain. Um, and I saw someone who really suffered from the absence of this relationship. Um, and then for whatever reason, it wasn't able to see that her choices were the cause of 
the block in the relationship um, or religion, call it what you will. But to me, you know, that's it's a hell of a bigger choice than being gay, you know, like choosing to believe, you know, an old book, um, not to be offensive. But um, so it was a really, it was maybe the saddest part of the process for me because as much as there's hope in it, and you do see these two parts of this, this woman um, who's a mother and wants to be a mother, you also felt so completely this sense of a block that might prevent it from happening. You know, when she talks about, you know, I'm not sure if it's in the film, but, you know, maybe not in this lifetime, yeah. they'll have a relationship. But that's heartbreaking to me because at the end of the film, you see her innate response to her son, her pride, watching him sing a song about her that is so complicated and so difficult and pull out her phone to, to film it. That's, that's, you know, the most complex image in the film to me, you know, and, and the desire to hug him at the end of that, while at the same time going back to the status quo of the day after mm -hmm. it, it is messy, but I think that that's why, you know, it's important. I, you know, it's, it was a, it was a tough one, but I, I, I couldn't even tell him about the footage. I was, <laughs> we'll get to that in a few months. Yeah. Right. And I think, yeah. And it's, it, to me, it sort of goes back to this, this kind of upending of the homecoming narrative where it's like homecoming is tip, is conventionally imagined as this thing that reconstitutes something, right. It, yeah. it, it makes something whole once more. And the film leaves, it, it, it allows you allow yourself to leave that space of block, right. Or income, like it, things don't quite link up in the end. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a really um, wise choice there or a compelling choice. Um, so while this is obviously a difficult and complicated film emotionally, it is also a film about country music. <laughs> so as we sort of start to maybe move into the third act of our, our conversation here, um, let's talk about that aspect of the film just a little bit. Um, so you both obviously have backgrounds as performers, actors, um, and so forth. Um, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, respectively, how you found your ways into country music. Um, Brandon, um, you, of course, were raised in the South, kind of like in the in the culture of country music. Um, was it sort of an easy or natural thing for when you wanted, when you decided you wanted to do music to find your way into country as a form of storytelling and expression? Or was it something that was kind of difficult for you? I remember very distinctly being raised in country music and the culture of country music, and then at some point being like, nope. <laughs> For a variety of reasons, one of which is I was like, oh, well, I'm real gay and this is not comfortable <laughs> for me. <laughs> but then in later years, coming back around to it. So I kind of wonder um, what your experience has been or what your experience was working your way into country music. And Trent as well, I mean, is country natural to you or was this kind of your entree to this culture? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, My answer is gonna be quick, so I'll take this first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, and then for a second there, I made some videos for him, and then I shot some stuff for Ty Herndon, and and I remember laughing, and like, well, somehow I'm the gay country music. Video. <laughs> 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 um, so that's a quick one, but B. Well, I mean, like I said, I I grew up in Tennessee, and I mean, I was I. I started singing when I was five and six years old. And the first, first thing I ever did was uh, at the Opry house in Nashville. That was a, my very first show. 
Um, and uh, so I, we, it was an, it was like this Easter thing. So it was um, during the day, and then they would switch over to the Grand Ole Opry at night. They would, uh, you know, the the barns, would, you know, barn would come in, and the our sets would go out. Well, and just to interrupt. Was that the the footage we used? Is from that no, very first? different show. But um, yeah, so I was six and I, I had this experience where I, I came in to the, our little kid dressing room and um, it was locked. And so I was, you know, here I am six years old, banging on this door, trying to get in. And um, I must've stood there for a couple minutes, just, you know, banging away. <laughs> Nothing's happening. And all of a sudden this woman opens the door and she's like, honey, I think, you know, I think they moved you guys down the hall. And I was like, no, no, this is my dressing room. <laughs> she was like, no. She was like, I think that she was like, I know. She's like, but I think they moved you. Um, she was like, I think you're down the hall. And I was like, well, who are you? And she was like, well, I'm Faith Hill. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, Brandon? I know. So this, <laughs> was her, this was her first, this was her Opry debut that night. Oh my God. Um, really so I, I got that kind of hang around and um, I just saw that every night. And I mean, I was so little. Uh, but I just, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I was very lucky. Um, I've always known what I wanted to do. Um, I've kind of taken, a, you know, a weird path to get here, but um, country music's always, you know, been my my thing. And, you know, I after I came out, um, that's when I started writing music of my own. So um, it was kind of just the, the right timing, I guess. Right, that's great. Um, and I wonder if you can, as somebody who's kind of in the thick of, has been in the thick of the country world for a long time and remains in it, um, I wonder if we can sort of tackle just really briefly, if we can briefly, um, this kind of issue that kind of comes up briefly in the film, but has come up in our conversation as well, the kind of diversity and representation and inclusion problem in country music, which is has deep, deep historical roots. This is nothing new, but it is shocking just how obstinate parts of the country industry have been, um, particularly commercial country radio has been to broadening the, 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 the cohort of artists that they're willing to represent and program and showcase. Um, and it seems to me that in the past five, seven years, there's been a kind of real flourishing of a, of a much more diverse and like much more varied and interesting cohort of country artists who are doing really cool work, but it's well outside of the realm of commercial country radio. It seems to be on the streaming services, non-commercial radio like NPR, um, even YouTube has this like very vibrant, um, rich um, country folk Americana old time kind of community on there. Um, so, and, and I'm just thinking of things like Spotify's Indigo playlist, which they set up exactly to showcase artists that commercial country radio overlooks. <laughs> um, Apple Music has done, has released a similar slate of playlists and programming. Um, Reese Palmer, the amazing Reese Palmer, of course, now hosts a program on Apple Music called Color Me Country, which centers Black, Latinx, and, and uh, Indigenous contributions to country music, past and present. So I wonder sort of in this moment where there seems to be a real kind of recalcitrance within country, commercial country radio, but this real exciting energy elsewhere in the country world, um, where you see opportunities for growth and change and um, how you see yourself fitting into this kind of like emerging landscape of country music. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think the great and exciting thing is, is that it is changing. I mean, you're right in saying that, you know, the the radio programmers across the, the commercial radio programmers across the country are the ones dragging their feet while everyone I think else is kind of forging ahead. Uh, but we are seeing some amazing representation finally in, um, I mean, we're talking about a genre who has been hesitant to play women. They have, they had a representation problem in every in every kind of form and facet that you could imagine. So now that we are, you know, finally seeing women back on the charts is, you know, one step forward, but we're finally seeing, you know, queer artists, we're finally seeing people of color, um, you know, and, and all of the intersections in between. So, I mean, it's really kind of an exciting place to be right now. Um, at least I feel that way um, because it, it really does feel like, um, there's space where there wasn't before. And I know that it's taken some time to get here. And I know that um, it's taken a lot of work and a lot of brave people, um, uh, including my friend Ty Herndon and Shelly Wright, who kind of helped pave a path for artists like me to exist. So um, I don't know. I I obviously think there's a lot of work to be done, but I think that um, there's a lot of people doing it and uh, that helps. so uh, I, I think that the, the genre has really kind of taken a turn um, and is gonna gonna be a lot different, uh, you know, moving forward. Yeah, and on that, I'll just give one last of my own questions and then we'll take some questions from the audience. But it seems to me also that Three Chords and a Lie has a real opportunity to be a part of that, the work that needs to be done, doing the work that needs to be done, yeah. not just within the country industry, but it also strikes me that there's been a real kind of smattering of films over the past five years or so that are really invested in telling wider and more interesting and diverse stories about country music and its culture and the people who make it. Um, so just I, a few that I was able to come up with were a film like Wild Rose from 2018 by Tom Harper, which is wonderful. Um, the new Ken Burns sprawling magnum opus, right? Which in, in its in its own very Ken Burns way, right, deals with the the really broad historical formation of country music and that it's not this singly white southern male thing right exactly yeah or um the year dolly parton was my mom is a really cute little canadian independent film and also even a film like dumplin which you can see on netflix which (laughs) taps into this like wonderful convergence of like drag culture southern pageant culture and country music which is like all kind of one thing so In that context, I I guess my final question to you would be, in the context of these new stories and new forms of country music, who's watching Three Chords? And how is it helping them to understand country music differently and and the people who love it and the people who make it a little bit differently? Yeah, you know what? I, on the outset of this thing, when I was kind of asked that question, it wasn't really asked exactly like that, but I I said um, that my hope for this film was that it would reach queer people first, you know, that, um, especially now, you know, I, I was so, I was so happy with the timing and the way that this worked out that we were able to release it this year, uh, you know, because I mean, the pandemic has been hard um, on everyone, but I think about, you know, I think about myself at, you know, 16, 17 and having, you know, if I had to be locked up um, and, you know, uh, you know, didn't have any real outlet or, um, you know, any, any support outside my immediate family. So, um, and, and we released it right before the holidays, which I think is <laughs> even more tough. Um, but I mean, I think it's just kind of, for me, I hope um, that it's something that, you know, queer kids can, queer people can watch um, to f- 
find themselves in in some way, you know, to to find that solidarity in this story and so you know in their own way. But then also, I think it's for you know um, for families with queer people in them. You know, my hope was that um, you know families like mine would watch it and realize that you know the coming what the coming out process is like and what and how it can fundamentally reshape your entire life um, and uh, in a good or bad way. So I um, and, and yeah, and then and the role that they play in that. Um, so that's kind of who I was hoping would would kind of take this in. Um, in terms of uh, like the country world, we called it three chords in a lie because it's based off the old Harlan Howard quote. Um, you know, he's he famously said that country music is you know just three chords in the truth. But the truth is that for queer people, um, we don't get to tell our truths, um, and if if we do, they're uh, either exaggerated or it wasn't as bad as you thought, or uh, that didn't really happen and you feel gaslit. Um, this was a space where I could honestly share my experience um, because they were real, they were hard, they were tough, they still affect me. Um, but this was a, a way of putting it into the world that, uh, you know, uh, trying to do something good with the bad. So, um, yeah, I hope in all of that you found some answer to. Different brands, though. Mine is I wanted all of those people, obviously the queer community, to embrace it. I felt like that was the easier thing. That was the more like that was the choir who were ready for this. A lot of the people I hoped might engage with it, and there's sort of a reason that I, I structured the glossy more like this is a documentary about gay country artists, you know. <laughs> Um, a little bit more in the first five ten to give you that sense of oh I have a safe viewing platform to witness something that I will have no resonance with you know here's a very like some of the, the framing of the interview pieces are much more structured and and then it gets more and more like in your face as it goes um, because I wanted people who wanted to keep an objectivity and a distance from the subject matter to feel safe to get into something that they really have no place in perhaps people you know who don't have a country music exposure or in particular parents who, you know, might want to dip their toe into, you know, they might have gay kids who they are distanced from, you know, in a sense, it's the sort of movie I hoped people like Brandon's mom and family would be able to watch and understand. Because if we can do that, then I think that we really have, you know, apart from just helping the ones who we always want to help, we might have an opportunity to engage in conversation, the ones who are still putting up the barriers between uh, family members. Um, so, you know, that was sort of my hope with the project. Great, thank you. Um, just in our last few minutes, I'm gonna turn to a couple of questions from our audience that have been selected from the Q&A function by Carsey Wolf staff. Um, so thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Um, Autumn Wilbur asks, so we've talked a lot about the things about this film that were difficult. <laughs> I really, I really like dug in, sorry. <laughs> um, but the things that were challenging. Um, but what was the most rewarding um, and sort of, you know, supportive experience in, in the course of creating this film? Maybe one for each of you. For me, it was... I always loved Brandon as a friend and respected him as a musician, respected him as a person. Um, the thing that gives me the most satisfaction was being able to share something so raw um, and so intimate with it, with him and for him to trust me to take that journey with him and share parts of his life that I know are really sensitive and delicate. 
Um, I've always felt close to Brandon, but you know, the, the experience was bonding in a way that I've never had before in a creative sense or, you know, that was for me. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the, the best part about, um, you know, making this film outside of just getting to spend a week with, with this guy, um, was the, the show was really fun. <laughs> that last song, the show was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, I, when I showed up, I, um, there was, there was a guy sitting there. Oh, we were there really early, obviously. Uh, and he had come earlier and he was like, you don't know me, but I'm, I, you know, I'm your kindergarten teacher's husband. <laughs> and, and so that was like the beginning of everyone that showed up. Um, and like I said, I'd never played my hometown before. And so there were crowds of people that I went to high school with. I had teachers from kindergarten all the way up to, you know, when I graduated, um, I had, you know, uh, teachers, coaches, uh, extended family, people that I went to church with um, that I, you know, I just assumed uh, over the past decade had kind of written me off. But, you know, a woman that I sang in choir with, you know, grabbed me by the hands and, and said, um, I think what you're doing is so important. Please keep doing it. And, um, you know, and uh, even even my aunt, who I'm, you know, ha have always been close with, I was packing up and leaving and uh she sent she slipped me a note and she said i you you should be nothing but very proud of what you've done here tonight um and uh, so i think it was just like getting all of these people together that were so much a part of my world that um a lot of i, I you know i just assumed um wrongly of and uh it was really nice to to have them there and, and to have them be a part of this project. Um, it meant a lot to me. Great. Um, and just one final question before we wrap up, Karen Kirschenbaum Reynosa, pardon me if I mispronounced, um, she speaks as a high school teacher here in California um, where she says she feels that there's actually a lot of institutional support for LGBTQ youth. And so seeing you tell your story sort of raises the question for her, um, whether there's a, a, something particular to the South um, that presents certain challenges for LGBTQ youth and in maybe less urban areas. Um, but I also wonder if maybe you could address that um, in relation to your experience of going to like Chattanooga Pride, right? And perhaps um, whether there's uh, a set of changes underway that um, might help us rethink what we understand the experience of queer people in the rural in the South to be, right? Yeah, I mean, like like I said in the um, the documentary, although Trent cut out my best line, <laughs> I was like, "What happened to my best line?" Uh, he, I was so shocked when I got to Chattanooga Pride. I was like, I expected a couple of drag queens and tube tops on a flatbed, you know, like I was <laughs> anything. And we show up, and this is huge you know, gathering of queer people and, and allies in downtown Chattanooga, this place that, you know, I had just, you know, hidden myself um, in for so long and, and was just so af afraid of. Um, and there were all these, you know, younger, younger people um, just being at pride. And it was a great experience. So I will, I'll say that um, when I grew up, you know, when I was there, um, I imagine that it was very different than what it is now, um, you know, and uh, and I think that it's obviously changing 
for the better, which is really exciting to see. And I can I jump in on just to answer that as a purely objective person, didn't grow up in the South, not an American, but observing the whole thing to me, and this is not an anti-religion statement. I'm, I have beliefs of my own. Um, but I think that the thing I asked everyone who we interviewed, you know, Cody, Shelley, you know, Pam, everyone, um, what role religion played in their experience of, uh, of acceptance or not accepting gayness um, or queerness or any difference really. And to a person, it was the first thing that came up. And, and I think that as religion evolves and includes and adapts, so will the experience for queer people in that place in particular. I think Shelley had an incredible quote, which is like, it's the South, it's the Bible. And in a sense, as frustrating as it was, it so often was like a little kernel of blockage. Right. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've hit our time for this evening. Um, I want to thank everybody who joined us today, everybody who submitted questions. And I especially want to give my very sincere thanks to Brandon and Trent for joining us and for being willing to answer my extremely invasive question. It's been a delight to get to know you. With that, I will sign off and say thank you once again to our guests and uh, have a lovely evening. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.